Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Binance Podcast. My name is Wee Joe. I'm the Chief Financial Officer for Binance. So, what I want to do with this show is to spend time talking to specialists, entrepreneurs, scholars, influencers, basically leading people from a variety of industries. Hopefully, through these conversations, we can share insights on how blockchain is changing not just these different industries, but also in changing the world. Here's a quick disclaimer. All opinions expressed by our host and our guests on this podcast are merely their own opinions. They do not imply any endorsements or opinions of their companies. You should not take these opinions as specific investment advice, as you will be solely responsible for your own investment. Hey everyone, this is Wee. I am back here with another uh, episode of the Binance Podcast. Today, I'm really, really excited to have uh, Samuel Bankman-Fried to join me. Sam, uh, I've known for quite a bit of time. He's the founder behind uh, Alameda, and he's also the founder behind uh, FTX, which is the cryptocurrency uh, exchange that uh, Binance actually invested um, near the end of 2019. And then uh, I myself actually worked on that deal and then um, and have actually known Sam since he, I think, started trading uh, on Binance uh, with Alameda back in 2018, actually. So, Sam, thank you for joining the Binance podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. You and I uh, sort of first had a real uh, in-depth discussion at the Binance conference in January last year. We talked a little bit about who you are. Uh, at that point, it was just Alameda. But in the span of 12 months, you have basically now one of the top uh, derivative exchanges, but also net, uh, as a whole, one of the top five, top 10 sort of cryptocurrency exchanges in the world now in FTX. Um, so before we jump into sort of what you've done um, in terms of building two businesses, um, can you tell us a little bit about sort of your personal background? Anything you want to you add in? Yeah. It's like where you come from, sort of how'd you get into trading in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I guess I, I went to MIT, majored in physics there, and I was sort of, you know, trying to figure out what to do with my life. As I was going through college, wanted to figure out how I could have as much impact on the world as possible, and, and sort of settled on, you know, figuring out basically how I could, uh, how I could figure out how to donate as much as possible. And that, that led me to a job in finance. So I joined Jane Street Capital as a quantitative trader. Uh, in New York, and I worked there for about three years trading international ETFs. And then in 2017, I left Jane Street and started up Alameda Research, which was a, a quantitative trading firm in crypto. Sort of grew that out over the next few years. As one of the uh, largest players in crypto trading, we had sort of a, a firsthand look at uh, how the exchanges operated. And, and especially in the derivative space, felt like there's a lot that we could have to offer in terms of uh, you know, product design. And so I uh, started building out FTX, launched spring of 2019, and have been sort of growing that ever since. I'm really curious about what happened in 2017. That was just before I think Bitcoin and uh, everything else started to booming and just before sort of like alt. Yeah. How did you get into Bitcoin trading or owning in the first place? Yeah. You know, basically after leaving Chain Street, you know, I, I took a look at crypto and there sort of seemed to be large arbitrages, but it's but it pretty unclear how real that was. You know, it's just like numbers on a website somewhere that seems because different from each at, other. At, at that point, it was still a pretty 
dark and scary place. <laughs> it really was. And I mean, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done on the infrastructure, but it's even much worse then. You know, started digging into it and it seemed like, yeah, there are a lot of issues here, a lot of operational issues in actually executing any of this, but that these trades were real, that there were in fact very good trades to do, you know, large spreads between different exchanges and sort of jumped into that. When I sort of started looking into it, Bitcoin was worth like $3,000. By the time we'd ramped up, it was worth 10000 and, and, you know, those first few months were sort of, uh, it was this weird thing where you think of quantitative trading as like, you know, people doing extremely advanced math, you know, their, you know, lab coats or programming or whatever, and then saying like, aha, we found the trade. But this is sort of very much not like that. Like the trade was the easiest. The trade was you look at two exchanges and you're like, well, that number is bigger than that number. That's interesting. Like a Bitcoin string for $11,000 in Japan and $10,000 in the United States. Mm-hmm. Those aren't the same. And so the trade is obvious. It's, you know, buy the $10,000 Bitcoin and sell the $11,000 Bitcoin. Uh, but then you, you go to do it and you run into all these different roadblocks. Everything from how to get banks hooked up to these exchanges, to how to get withdrawal limits that are high enough to do these trades, understanding the blockchains correctly, and sort of a bunch of other operational regulatory corporate pieces of this. And then also sort of this, the technological part of this, actually getting API connections to the exchanges. And so, you know, sort of late 2017, you know, frantically scaling up as much as we could to be able to scale into these trades while they are still there. How did you fund the startup? Yeah, was it so, just your own money, or did you actually raise outside capital? So it's, it's just my own money at the beginning. You know, I had a little bit of money left over, as did a few other friends of mine. There's sort of you know loans from friends and family financing you know the very beginning of this. So it's just a super bootstrap startup then. Yeah, exactly. Everything was wow. super bootstrapped. I mean, it was you know we sort of did trade one on day one, and then each day we tried to kind of build another thing on top of it, and kind of like rebuild our infrastructure and our corporate infrastructure and our financial infrastructure. But it was all just extremely bootstrapped, trying to start from as little as possible and, and scale up as quickly as possible. Because by the time I met you in 2018, uh, you guys were plugged into like, you know, over 50 exchanges, I think at that point. Yeah, we, we did <laughs> sort of a mad dash in, in 2018, especially of, of plugging into exchange after exchange after exchange. And at this point, there's sort of 10, 15 exchanges that really have the bulk of the volume, but it was a lot more disparate back then and a lot less clear. I mean, you guys were still pretty young then. Mm-hmm. And I think it wasn't clear from the outside that Binance was going to grow to be what it ended up being. And it was, there have been a lot of sort of changes that have happened between now and then. And so we're just sort of frantically connecting to as many venues as possible. Because what I was super impressed by at that point is basically the infrastructure that you've had. Because I think even for us uh, to, to sort of to build up infrastructure is really hard. And like you said before, there's like actually a lot of unknown unknowns in this industry at that point. Yep, so there absolutely are. How were you able to scale that in, in just like in a year, year and a half? Time? Yeah. You know, sort of the, the, the basic answer is just a lot of sweat and blood. I mean, it was <laughs> there's sort of a lot of tricks of the trade that we learned as we went on. Um, but, you know, a lot of it was just we tried really hard. We kept trying. When one thing didn't work, you know, we didn't give up. We sort of tried more and more routes, kind of trying to figure out anything we could to get to where we wanted to be. And so we opened up a bank account. It lasted about a month before it got shut down because we we're using it for crypto. And JP Morgan Chase wasn't excited about that. <laughs> um, and so uh, then we sort of immediately moved on to bank account number two and bank account number three. And pretty soon we we're just canvassing all banks in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, opening up account by account. We we're spending three man hours a day physically at banks mm-hmm. um, because the wire transfers for the sizes we need, you couldn't do them through online portals. <laughs> uh-huh. And it was just brutal. I mean, we were standing there, so typing in like the reference numbers, like three, 
Uh-huh. J and we're like you have 30 seconds to get this out before the deadline just type it and the Q R and we're like no no, no that, that's an S it's not an R you gotta fix it <laughs> um, okay. and so you know it's a ton of scrambling sort of that was on one end you know we did the same thing on the exchanges end where we tried everything we could to get connected to exchanges often our first attempts didn't work we had to figure out how to handle exchanges that didn't have APIs or had APIs that were missing key features and you know we built a lot of infrastructure around that and, you know, around sort of semi-functional products and infrastructure. And, you know, really the answer is just a ton of trial and error, thousands of hours of work and trying to be as creative as we could. I mean, obviously you're quite successful because by the time I met you, I think you guys were delivering, you know, monthly returns pretty much consistently for about 18 months straight. And some of the months, monthly returns were even in double digits, uh, yep. 17 and 18. Yeah, there are some pretty good trading opportunities if you sort of were able to scale up to it. And there were some really satisfying moments when we sort of, plugged in the final piece of his system and were able to turn it on and, you know, saw the trades come to life as we'd been envisioning them. Um, and, you know, you ask how these, like, how a 5% arbitrage could exist. And the answer is, well, it's because it took a thousand hours of work to be able to do it. And, you know, not many people got to that point, got through all those barriers. And so it was sort of super satisfying to finally get there. Thanks to sort of the second part of the question. You already have a successful quant fund, right? Obviously, you're delivering you know, consistent returns and then you're raising capital and you're scaling pretty effectively. And then you already have a path to, to financial freedom. What makes you want to build and run and operate an exchange on top yeah. of that? Because an so exchange is nightmare. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's a ton of sources of consternation there that we definitely didn't have to deal with before. You know, and I think customer support is like a clear example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think I'll give sort of two types of answers. You know, one type of answer is we thought we could do a good job of it. You know, we felt like there's a lot of openings, a lot of opportunity to innovate on the existing systems and that we sort of understood how to do that. And we understood a lot of ways that we would build things differently than they had been built and that that would sort of add a lot to the space. And so that's sort of one part of the answer is just we felt like like we could add a lot and do a good job. And another part is that, you know, we sort of didn't get complacent. And a lot of where I think this is coming from is we didn't sort of feel like, yeah, you know, we have a successful business. That's enough. You know, no point in trying to do more than that. You know, we sort of want to do as much as we could and grow as big as we could. And I think, you know, some of that traces back also to like, why am I in this in the first place? It's sort of to be able to have as much impact as I can and, and sort of donate as much as I can. And sort of the sky's the limit on that. You have one successful business, you haven't maxed out the amount of impact you can have on the world. And there's sort of always more you can do. And so we're sort of always motivated to strive further. Mm-hmm. And what were some of the differentiators then that you would say that FTX has to some of the, you know, the, yeah. at that point, you know, the incumbents in the market? Yeah. So one thing is I think the margin system was a lot cleaner than a lot of the other venues. And to give sort of, there's a lot of pieces that, but some examples, you know, first of all, clawbacks, like there's huge problems with clawbacks in 2018, hundreds of millions of dollars of them. We kind of rebuilt the the risk engine from the ground up. We've never had a clawback. We had, uh, we sort of rethought margin. And in particular, we have cross margin between all of the contracts on FTX. And we have flexible margin where you can use a lot of different assets as collateral on FTX, as compared to a lot of venues where you're trading the ETC futures, you got to move the ETC into margin. Then you mm-hmm. want to trade the EOS futures, you got to go buy some spot EOS in order to trade the futures. Then you get close to liquidation on one, you can't move collateral between them because not only are they different counts, they're, they're even different collateral currencies and it's just they're this massive production to manage. Um, and we sort of cleaned all that up with normal linear contracts, stable coins settled with cross margin between all of them. We launched a lot of products we felt like were sort of 
obvious and pretty cool that no one had done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the examples of that are index futures. So we have, you know, an altcoin index future if you want to take a position just on, you know, altcoins in general without taking one on one specific token. Because you guys came out with the famous bullshit token, right? Yep, exactly. The uh, <laughs> 3x uh, long uh, shitcoin index token. Which is um, is that still available? That's still out there, it, right? Yep, it's still out there. It's it's, it's out, had a, it's probably outperformed last week. Then. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's had a pretty good week. So and so, if, you know, along with that, we did build leverage tokens in general, which I think are sort of a really cool way to tokenize leveraged positions, so that you can trade them like spot contracts. You can move them around the blockchain. Um, you can sort of get them listed on other venues, and obviously, you know, Binance has listed a bunch of them recently, which we're super excited about, and you know, seeing a lot of trading activity there. You know, we launched move contracts, which are they're basically straddles, is what they are in sort of options lingo, but they're sort of contracts that expire to the amount Bitcoin moves. And so sort of they're like pure volatility contracts, like abstracting away the entire directional move component. So we launched those, you know, we sort of kept adding more and more, and there just seemed like huge opportunity for cool and useful products to launch that people weren't really capitalizing on. Yeah, the two new products, one I'll get to later, it's about the election, <laughs> but the, yep. uh, which is something I'm personally <laughs> really have been, I've been yep. following. But the bigger one is actually your options. Yep. I think that one's actually pretty innovative. It's kind of like name your price. Can you tell a little bit about that product? Yeah. Because I think it's actually pretty easy and simple to use. Yeah, absolutely. And so what it is, it's, it's an options portal. You can you know buy and sell calls and puts on margin. And, and sort of the cool thing about it is that uh, one struggle with options is that there's a lot of them. You know, anyone who's ever tried to trade options on most exchanges, it's a bit intimidating. There's like 200 markets. They're all sort of very slightly different from each other, and most of them are pretty illiquid. And just generally, it's not easy to manage a space where there's a ton of different parameters and products. And so what we did instead was we basically have a portal where you can request quotes on whatever option you want. And so the way that works is you just type in whatever strike price you want, whatever expiration you want, whether you want a call or a put, click a button, and then anyone on the platform can kind of show you the best offer or or bid that they have for that. Um, And you can trade against that if you want. So it lets you just kind of custom build whatever options portfolio you want in a super straightforward way and and removes a lot of the clutter. Mm -hmm. One of the unique things that I had in terms of using it is that um, I'm not an advanced trader, right? It's, It's that I can pretty much get quotes on things that I want to build a position, right? Like, how does that yeah. work on the, on the back end? Like, exactly. Who's, who's my counterparty? That's, I think that's my question. And the other markets is basically the market is the counterparty, right? But in this case, am I counterparty against another individual, another institution, or are you guys backing it? Or how does that work? Right. I think that's my biggest um, question. Yep. No, it's a good question. And yeah. in some sense, the answer is similar to other venues. Sort of who you're facing is the exchange. The exchange manages all the margin for both sides and manages liquidation and things like that. And so from a risk exposure, the exchange manages all of that. But from a, you know, who's taking on the opposite position, anyone who wants to can quote to you. So there's you know, a way both on the GUI and the API to quote to everyone who's kind of requesting quotes on options. You know, in practice, it's generally going to be liquidity fighters. It's generally going to be sort of firms that are used to quoting options and sort of have API connections and just automatically compete to show quotes on every option that people ask for and, and people just get filled against whoever's showing the tightest quote. So it could be anyone, it could be anyone with an FTX account, but generally it's going to be options liquidity providers who have you know an API set up and are automatically quoting. Awesome. 
can you tell a little bit about your presidential futures contracts? <laughs> like, yeah. what's your, what are your ideas? Because I've, I've seen you tweeting a couple of times, and then actually CZ actually tweeting is that these are actually the, probably the best predictive engines because people are actually yep. putting real money into it. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, you know, we launched prediction contracts on the 2020 presidential election. So we have contracts on Trump winning and then on sort of the five remaining, you know, significant Democratic candidates. And basically what there is the Trump contract, it's a future that expires to one if Trump wins and zero if he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, right now it's trading about 64 cents, which means sort of the market's implying a a 64% chance he wins. And, you know, Mm -hmm. if you thought that was too low, you could buy them. And if you thought that was too high, you could short sell that. And then, you know, we also have contracts on Bernie, Biden, Bloomberg, Bujig, and Warren winning the presidency. And, you know, basically what we decided was that FTX is actually a really good venue to be hosting this for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, we already had a matching engine. It's easy for us to launch markets. Crypto is a great way to collateralize and settle these. Anyone who's tried to use poker sites or, or prediction markets has probably run into all the difficulties with getting money in and out. Mm-hmm. And crypto exchanges make a really natural venue for that. You know, you can do it with wire transfers or with credit cards. You can also do it, though, with stable coins or with Bitcoin or, or a bunch of other cryptocurrencies. And so it's a really easy to use venue for it. We already had the matching engine. And, you know, we have liquidity fires, we have customers. And so so we launched the contracts. So far, we're, we're super excited with the reception to it. They've been trading something like a million or $2 a day, which is not super high by like Bitcoin futures standards, but actually makes it probably the highest volume presidential prediction market in the world. Mm-hmm. And one sort of cool fact is that the day we launched these, we set our record for daily active users by about 50%. And so oh, we've wow. seen you know, a huge uptick in customer signups and usage since these because you know, if you think about what are the things people want to be trading, I mean, obviously, crypto is one of them. But pretty high up on that list is the 2020 presidential election. There sort of weren't very many easy ways to do it. At this point, it's probably the most liquid, highest volume market for it. So we've seen a ton of excitement from a really wide range of users. And, you know, sort of another exciting piece of this is that it it lets us start inching into other user bases, Mm -hmm. reaching out to people who are not currently cryptocurrency traders, uh, but instead are trading other things, are trading presidential markets or sports betting or Mm -hmm. other things, and sort of introduce them to FTX. That's actually what I was going to get to is like sports. (laughs) Yep. I mean, it's, you know, so for what's worth, we sort of ran some polls about, you know, what Uh would people be most excited to see, see contracts on? And somewhat interestingly, actually the same thing won the poll both in English and in Chinese, you know, often when we run polls, we'll get actually pretty different answers, depending on what language we run them in, based mm-hmm. on demands from different countries. But one thing that I can say is that there seemed to be a ton of demand for NBA finals contracts. Interesting. This is like a rapid, rapid conversation. <laughs> so we're actually moving things pretty fast. Now, the last bit is actually to talk about what you see for the general crypto markets, right? I don't think I did a good enough job in terms of introducing uh, Alameda. I think Alameda is actually one of the biggest quant funds, I think, in yep. the crypto universe. They are probably the biggest liquidity providers in terms of for basically, you know, the top five, both on the derivative side and on sort of the, the spot exchanges. I'm sure you guys make money on the way up and on the way down. It seems like the momentum's been building into 2020 for cryptos to be a pretty big year on the way up. So do you have any thoughts on market trends? You know, I know you don't like to make predictions, but any right. ideas in terms of trends for both? I think the, the, yeah. the dominant, like the Bitcoin or maybe even alts. It's interesting. And I think obviously this isn't financial advice. And this is sort of, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm just sort of mm-hmm. giving the best guesses I can. It's felt pretty weird. I think you look at like the 2017 run up 
I mean, it was crazy, but it also, it wasn't hard to see why things were running up. Like you walk down the street, you run into someone and they're probably about to try buying the Bitcoin for the first time. You know, there's just absolutely massive global interest in it. You saw this in China, you saw this in Korea, in Japan, in the United States, in Southeast Asia, it's just all over the place. Mm-hmm. And you saw sort of huge numbers of new user bases. You saw, you know, months long backlogs on customer support for exchanges as they frantically tried to deal with their massive user base growth. And you saw institutions starting to get their feet wet. It was just there's so much momentum behind it from so many angles. And that looks pretty different from what you see this time. There's a ton of excitement within the crypto industry for what's going on right now, but it's not like you sort of see as much as much sort of pickup outside of it. We don't see sort of the mass inflows into the industry of people that mm-hmm. you know you saw a few years ago. And sort of sort of doesn't feel like that just giant groundswell of flows from the world that we saw last time. And instead it feels like sort of way more market structure, way more concentrated. It feels way more like boys some people are buying a lot. And there has been a ton of enthusiasm, but it's almost a, a tail wagging the dog sort of thing where like Prices started running up and then people got excited about that fact. And, you know, there's been some good fundamental news. There's been some bad fundamental news. It's, you know, you sort of can take whatever stances you want, but it doesn't feel like, oh, yeah, the whole world is, is now using crypto in sort of a way that's like discreetly different from before things were running up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one thing I'll say is it, it just feels weird. It feels like a weird run up and it feels you know, way more concentrated and, and insular than last time. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to be sustained. I mean... To some extent, people buy a lot of crypto goes up and that is what it is. So Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily a prediction about what's going to happen, but it does just sort of feel pretty different from last time. Yeah. One of the things is that like like one comment that you made is actually really, really good, really important. And I think it's sort of uh, probably similar things on my front. It's like people are not lining up at the door (laughs) and around around the block to get their first Bitcoin. The mass adoption, this is not it. Probably just uh speculators on the happening on the half yeah it definitely feels like something like that like it something definitely like that, feels yeah. like some group you know some large group of, of traders who are sort of internal to the crypto community mm-hmm. have decided that this is going to be a great year that the happening is going to be great and mm-hmm. they're they're buying a ton on that is is more what it feels like um which again doesn't necessarily mean it's going to revert like I, I don't know that it will but but it, it definitely feels very different any other thoughts you guys make months look like years but any 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 <laughs> Any thoughts or any comments you want to say about sort of what's upcoming for either Alameda or FTX? Yeah, so we've got a bunch of things in the works. You know, some of this is going to be pretty straightforward stuff, but I think the coolest thing, and and there'll be sort of more details about this forthcoming, but we've got sort of a pretty cool series of rollouts um, related to basically tokenizing trading. Mm -hmm. And, And you could think of leverage tokens as sort of one step in that direction. But there's a lot more that you can do. And, and there's sort of a pretty powerful set of things if you put them together in the right way that can sort of unlock both designing trading, sharing trading, tokenizing, and, and a ton of other things rolled into one. And you know, I think we're hoping that sometime this month we're going to be releasing sort of phase one of that, or at least sort of the first step of phase one of that, and then sort of more rolling out. But we think that's going to be sort of a really cool thing. Um, we've got a bunch of other cool stuff. Yeah as well, which hopefully will be going public over the next month or so. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you for all the good what you're doing uh, to sort of, you know, bring more adoption to the industry. Appreciate your time. Of course. Thank you as always. Okay. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this interview as, as much as I did. 
If you like this show, please share this episode on Twitter, Facebook, Telegram, WeChat, or any other social media platforms. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Binance Podcast, and see you next time.